You're listening to United and Resilient, a podcast designed to help heal and support the El Paso community. Hello, I'm your host, Mariana Sierra, Outreach Coordinator for the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center, a program of United Way of El Paso County. We are dedicated to serve those who were impacted directly or indirectly by August 3rd. Join us on the journey to long-term recovery as we have honest conversations with local leaders, mental health specialists, and fellow El Pasoans who share their stories and expertise. We feature topics that influence and impact the vitality and resilience of our community. We are El Paso United, and together we heal. Juntos sanamos. Dear listener, before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we're about to explore contains a mention of the mass casualty event and a description of the events that unfolded thereafter. This episode may not be suitable for everyone. Hello everyone, welcome back to United and Resilient. As we come close to our one-year mark of August 3rd, we would like to provide education and tools that are beneficial for our community. In this episode, we will discuss the importance of mental health. We will talk with a licensed professional counselor on how can we take care of our mental health and how can we seek help when we need it. We will also discuss current stigmas that surround mental health and how can we remove those stigmas in our community with our family and friends. Joining me today, we have the awesome Celeste Nevares. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Celeste Nevadas. I'm the Chief of Clinical Services with Emergence Health Network, and I oversee our outpatient therapy programs to include our wonderful CRC, which serves the survivors and families and community of the August 3rd shooting. So thank you for having me here today. I appreciate you taking the time and having me with you. Of course, we're so happy to have you here, Celeste. Can you tell me a little bit about interesting facts about yourself? Interesting facts about myself. Okay, I'm smiling. You can't see me. You can hear me, though. Um, That's funny. I just, am I that interesting? So some interesting facts about me. I'm born and raised here in El Paso, Texas. Happy to be back home. I've been here, back here for about eight years. I went to school at Texas Tech for my bachelor's in psych. Then went to Arizona State University for my master's in uh, community counseling. I'm happy to be here and serving back home. Um, Other fun fact, I'm the oldest of four siblings. Uh, I have an awesome family. And I think the very first time I learned about therapy was sitting in my grandmother's beauty salon and watching her do hair, but really, really learning about women and serving them as a therapist and a hairstylist. So those are my fun facts. That's awesome because yeah, you're right. Whenever people go to a hair salon, that's like a therapy session for them. So that's very interesting to know. Um, So to say, when we talked previously, I know you mentioned that um, one of the things that made you want to be a therapist is and come back to El Paso was um, that you saw a lack of providers here in El Paso. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So part of the reason why I wanted to come back to El Paso and, and serve as a therapist here was because, you know, like every, I think, 18 year old when I left home, I was like, I'm never coming back and I'm going to do all these cool things. And you're never going to see me again. Um, but some of the cool things that I got to see and experience was when I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and just being exposed to different, you know, cultures, backgrounds, everything else. But I distinctively remember being at a dinner where somebody was talking and they said, yeah, my therapist says I need to work on being more assertive. And I just thought, oh my God, this person's talking about therapy, like in public and oh my gosh, what do I say to that? You know, just, and the comfort level that came along with that. And I thought that's never happened to me here in El Paso. I've never been at dinner and we talk about our, our therapy techniques or our goals. And that just says so much about, you know, the way in which we view therapy here in El Paso. So First, seeing that, the, the discomfort we have here brought me back home and wanting to change that. And then also, the like you said, the lack of providers. Uh, I just I sigh with that because our population is growing, which is fantastic. El Paso is growing. However, we don't have enough therapists, social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, mental health providers in general in order to serve that growing population. And that is problematic because we're we're trying to shift the stigma so that folks feel more comfortable to reach out but if we don't have enough actual people to serve that need then then we're at an imbalance and I think I'm that's where I'm at what I'm seeing more and more of today and one of my goals is to try to not only reduce that stigma but also make sure that we've got enough providers to be able to support that need and now that you mentioned that I think it's very interesting um, how the stigmas, the stigmas that surround mental health. And this is why we wanted to do this podcast, right? Because we wanted to provide another tool for our community to uh, erase that stigma and just understand that it's normal and it's okay. And everyone can seek a therapist and that's fine. So can you tell me a little bit about the current state of mental health in our region? What are some of the stigmas that you see around here in El Paso? Yeah, I'm going to speak um, primarily to El Paso, the Southwest region that we're in right now, just because everybody's, every community has different needs. But I think the stigma surrounding our El Paso area, right, the surrounding areas as well, the stigmas that I see are really rooted in um, in our culture, in our faith, in and in the way that we view the world. And so, our culture, you know, we do have a significant history of of shame that is surrounds mental health or seeking any kind of help, right? Like we have machismo culture. We have. Um, just we don't tell secrets or the secrets stay within the family, like all of these things that are are part of growing up in this area that I've, I've seen. Right. Like I grew up in that. I didn't go to therapy growing up. That wasn't a conversation we had, um, although I definitely should have with the anxiety that I had as a child. Um, so there's culture and then there's also faith. And what I mean by that is I think faith can serve as a support to mental health. And I have seen an improvement where we're seeing, you know, faith-based leaders actually encourage therapy beyond just prayer or worship, which is great. But I think there's a lot of faith that, that shames that. I know I've seen that even within my own family, unfortunately, a family member of mine told me that a family member of hers distant said, well, why do you need to go to therapy? If you, if you just, believe enough, you should be fine, right? Like you, you obviously don't believe enough in, in 
in God and their faith. And, um, and that's why you're having these issues. And it's like, whoa, like we're, we're adding additional layer of shame and using faith as a weapon in order to induce that fear of, of wanting to reach out for help or feeling like it's okay to reach out for help. So those are, those are the core things that I've seen, but just systemically thinking about this, like, I don't know how many of you listening are, are talking about this at your dining room tables. Now I hope you are, but growing up, this is certainly not a topic that we talked about comfortably. I agree with you. Um, same with me. Like that was just not something that we approached. And, um, now I do see my family, especially my dad, more open to to seeking mental health. And um, he's even joined a therapy session, which I love. But before, uh, yeah, it's awesome. But before he was very, very close to it. And he's a very religious guy. And he he led to that way. He was no, like, my religion is going to help me. And of course, I mean, religion can help you. And it's really good. But just like we've mentioned before, uh, just like you go to the doctor, right, and you take care of your physical health, it's equally as important to take your care of your mental health. Um, and I know you mentioned something super important to me before um, that I thought it was really interesting. Um, you mentioned something about not watching this at home, like that therapy was like in in, in media. Remember that we talked about that Um that it was something that it was not like we, we, we thought it was something only rich people would go to. Um, and that was also a stigma. And I could really relate to that because you're right. Like in television, when I was little, I would see only rich people going to therapy. And when I started to seek therapy, I was like, no, it's going to be super expensive. Like how much is this going to cost me? So can you talk, talk about that? Because I thought it was really interesting. And I, I would love for our audience to to hear about that reflection that you had with us. Yeah. No, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. If any of my friends are listening, they're rolling their eyes because I talk about this all the time. So it's refreshing to be able to talk about it with a new audience. Um, yeah. I mean, if those of you who are listening, just take a minute and think about any kind of movie or TV show that you've ever seen where a therapist is involved or therapy is involved. It's typically somebody, the therapist is always much older, right? Um, there's a certain look to a therapist that was have glasses on and neutral colors on, which I've got to be honest, I'm wearing both of those things right now. But um, and it's always rich people in these very luxurious, like office spaces with leather couches and tea and coffee on the table, like just very, I don't know, just refined almost like it's just this experience, so to speak. And it's, it's always, it's unfortunately, typically rich people. And it's also typically um, not people of color. Like I never saw growing up anybody who looked like me or had my last name, right. Or a similar last name going to therapy is always rich people and people who don't look like me. So looking at that and I think about, you know, people of color in rural, I don't know, Nebraska, and they're watching this on TV, and they're not thinking, oh, I see myself in that character. I could go to therapy too. No, it even, it pushes that distance even wider where only rich people can go to therapy. So um, I think it furthers that stigma. And the way that therapy is portrayed in film and media in general is just so ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's always rich people. It's always very, very, like, 
again, just fancy. And or the other alternative is that they're a lover and a love affair and the therapist runs off with the client. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's always scandalous or or the drama that goes along with it. And so I think the vision of therapy, if we've never had a family friend or ourselves gone, the only image we have of therapy to pull from is what we see on TV or, or film. And that couldn't be further from reality. You know, therapists are all sorts of ages. I was 22 when I first started. And I remember people walking into the room and being like, you're going to be my counselor? Like, no, like you're a baby. Um, And office spaces, man, I've done therapy in broom closets. I've done therapy, you know, in, in psych hospitals. I've done therapy on the curb. Like, it does not have to be this very swanky office space. It can it can meet your needs and where you're at. And that's what real therapy looks like. That reminds me about a wonderful session that I had. And um, my therapist invited me to the park and we were just sitting in the park and he uh, about like, he had this like little cushions and he was, he just placed them there. And we had like the most wonderful conversation. And I remember a really close friend of mine he asked me like, how, how does that therapy look like? And I'm like, it, it really is not like you see it in TV. It, they might have a couch for you, but it's not really like you're just going to be laying there. Um, so yeah, I, I really love that uh, reflection of yours because it, that's right. I remember one of my favorite shows. I clearly remember the quote of one of the characters. Uh, they were talking about one of their kids and he and she was like, oh, I'll pay for her therapy later. And I was like, how much is this going to cost me whenever I want to go to therapy? Yeah. Yeah, so it's good for the public to know that really there are options and it doesn't have to be that expensive. Um, I know Emergence Health Network has a lot of um, options for for anyone who's seeking help, and we can talk a little bit about that um, further in the interview. But right now, I because we are um, approaching our one-year mark of August 3rd, I really want to talk about a little bit about trauma. So... After being impacted directly or indirectly by a traumatic event, why is it so important and beneficial to seek help? Yeah. I love that question, but I also hate that question. Like, it would be like, after a car accident, why would you go to the emergency room to be examined, right? Like, no, you don't get in a car accident and we're like, throw some dirt on it or walk it off or it's shameful to go to the doctor. No, somebody gets out of a car accident, they are in an ambulance on their way to the hospital. So the same goes for our mental health, especially after such just such an impactful trauma of August 3rd. Um, and it affected so many people in so many different ways and so many people that I know personally that um, aren't even from here. And I have some of my close family and friends who have visited me and they were like, I'm feeling some kind of way about this. I'm really struggling. So it it touched so many people and and just in so many different ways. So recognizing that this was a huge trauma and had a massive impact and and recognizing that um, after any kind of injury, trauma is an injury, that we seek out help and we seek out um, healing. That's a better word for it. Maybe not help, maybe healing. And And recognizing the need for healing after something like this, even now, I mean, we're almost at a year and some people feel like there's only a certain time of window that you can 
heal from this or it's like, oh, it's already been a year. You need to move on. Right. That's absolutely not true. Or some folks who are just now coming around to recognizing the impact of that trauma and are now seeking out services. So if you're listening and you haven't sought anybody out to to receive any kind of counseling or mental health services, we're still here. And even though it's been a year, like you are more than welcome to come and seek out help. And and none of us are going to judge you or resent you for for holding off or feeling nervous about doing so. So I hope that anybody listening just recognizes the fact that this was so heavy and so impactful. And the need to heal is still there. What Celeste is mentioning is so important because recovery can be different, right, for everyone. And, um, for example, my recovery, my, my, my journey of recovery looks different from whoever is listening. So maybe that day I didn't feel anything, but right now I might, and that's okay. So, yeah, like Celeste said, if anyone is feeling a certain way and would like to seek help, there are options for you. Um, and we like to invite the community to seek out for help and reach out to the FRC to emergence um, because it's so important and it's okay to not be okay. Um, now, going back to a little bit about the stigmas that surround mental health, um, I know it's very difficult sometimes when, for example, I was the person in my family that realized that mental health is really important, right? So I started to tell my parents about it, tell my sisters about it, tell my close friends about it. And, um, but sometimes I know there's some family members or friends who are like very, very against it. So, or not against it, but just don't want to talk about it. Um, so how do you approach those stigmas with your family members and, and friends? Um, so I'm going to tell a little story about this first. When I decided that I wanted to be a therapist or a mental health provider, my family, bless their hearts, they're wonderful people. Nobody was like, of course, like a therapist, because we've all gone to therapy and we're super comfortable having these conversations. No, I got a lot of, well, why, what are you doing? Just take, just take people to church and they'll be fine. And what are you doing? And oh God, Celeste, really? <laughs> um, and so I've had my own conversations or difficult conversations with my family about that and come to find out, you know, there's a, just a lot of shame, uh, deep rooted shame around that. And the fact that um, people are nervous to talk about this. Here's why. I mean, everybody's reasons are different, but really because there's a deep rooted seed of fear. So recognizing when you speak to people, especially who are struggling or people who are really defensive or uncomfortable talking about this, I tell myself this when I'm, when I'm frustrated with somebody or with some, a conversation I'm not getting through and remember that people are fearful. And so there's a fear there that we don't know about. Nine times out of 10, what I've learned in my career is that people are fearful about talking about this because they're scared that we're going to say something about them. We're going to somehow decide we're talking about therapy. You're calling me crazy or there's something wrong with me. Right. Or I'm scared that you're going to realize that I'm actually really struggling with depression. And that was a conversation I had with some of my family is that some folks were really struggling with depression. And that's why it was so uncomfortable for them to talk about this for so long. There are all sorts of really uh, deep rooted secrets that came out of family history with with just depression and all of this. Right. And I thought, oh, my God, so this has been the defensive barrier to protect that fear, 
right? So if the first reaction is no, 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 I don't want to talk about it, or our family doesn't have that problem, or that's not real, or you just need to pray more, any kind of that defensive, just ugh, and your knee-jerk reaction is to yell or to argue, step back and remember that people um, who are defensive, especially about this topic of mental health, are very likely protecting some kind of personal fear that they're having. Once you can speak to that fear, like, hey, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you as a person, as a mother, as a brother, as whatever you are in my life. I'm saying that we need to have more uncomfortable and difficult conversations around mental health so that our family can do better, so that we can generationally improve, you know, our lineage and our health and and all of that. Um, One of the things I like to think about, I don't remember who said it, so I can't quote them correctly, but secrets keep you sick, right? both mentally and physically. So just relieving that fear and and allowing people to feel comfortable and safe within themselves really unlocks everybody else in the room so that everybody else can now feel comfortable and safe and we can have these conversations. So I invite you to have these conversations at your dinner table. And if you get somebody who's just really aggressively like, nope, um, speak to their fear. And something something's buried under there. I remember having this conversation last Christmas with one of my uncles, and I was just telling my experience, right, about uh, my experience with therapy and how I was feeling. And I just remember my uncle just, you know, that look that's uh, that someone is really paying attention to you, and that was his look to me. He was really paying attention to me, and he was very surprised and he was very interested and he was asking questions. And that's when I realized, you know what? I also have a fear of being judged. Like, I don't know if someone out there who's listening is like, oh, Mariana goes to therapy. That's weird. No, but I I think I'm at the point where I overcame that fear and I want people to realize that it's okay. And if they see me, maybe my family, if they, if my family sees me going to therapy and seeking out help, maybe it normalizes for them and it helps them overcome that fear. So if someone in the public is listening, set the example and, and just open that conversation in with your family members, with your friends, like just don't be afraid because it's very, very normal. Like it's whatever you're feeling, it's very, very normal and it's okay. Yeah, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that story. I just want to point out, one, that I appreciate that. But two, that by by allowing yourself to heal and grow, right, by going to therapy, by allowing yourself to do that and heal, you allowed the rest of your family and invited them to start to heal, right? And that conversation with your uncle is living proof of that. And so that's really all I'm asking is to promote that, is for everybody to start you know, taking care of themselves so that we can take care of one another. Because the idea of mental health, again, if we want to talk about mental health and what is portrayed like in media again, is like, you know, people's arms wrapped around themselves in a straight jacket and, you know, drooling or laughing hysterically or looking, looking quote unquote crazy. Right. And that's the image of what somebody needs. Those people, right. It's always those, those people need therapy, but then they see you and they're like, Oh, you look like me. You sound like me. We have the same thoughts, morals, and values. And you're going, okay, then, then I can go too. So I'm just so thankful that you are able to do that for yourself and for your family. That's really awesome. 
Yeah, I just I just really think it's so important. And I just see it that way, that it's equally as important as physical health. We, Like you said um, in our previous conversation, you, you go once a year to, to get a physical, right, with the doctor. And it's just the same way. So, um, and even if you're feeling fine, <laughs> the other day I was having, uh, I was in a session and my therapist was like, so why are you here? And I remember telling her, like, honestly, like, I'm fine. I'm just here because it's, it's my session and it's my time to speak to you. But there's nothing really going on. And she was like, well, that's great. And she was actually very surprised that even though I was feeling great, like, I still went and joined my session. So now, um, Celeste, now I want to talk a little bit about uh, this journey to recovery. So I know you might not like this question, but um, how long is the process to recovery? I love that you already know. You're like, oh, she's not going to like this question. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there is no time limit. There is no you have six months to recover from a trauma or you have one year or, you know, there's no countdown because everybody's journey is so different. The road to recovery, and when, I, and when we say the word recovery, we're not just talking about alcohol or drugs. I know that's typically what people think of when they think of recovery. We're talking about healing. We're talking about our mental health, our emotional health and healing. So healing from something like the trauma of August 3rd, there is no set time. I know we're coming up on a year, so there are gonna be some people that are like, well, been a year time to clock out we're ready to go and that's that's definitely not how that works some some people process things really quickly and can work through their emotions really quickly some people take a little bit longer some people go forward backward forward again and backward again and so that that journey looks different for every person every body and every mind so really just being gentle with yourself and allowing whatever time is needed to heal and recover This is United and Resilient. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Yvonne Whitaker. I'm the director for the Victim Assistance Program at the District Attorney's Office. Where was I on August 3rd? I remember it was a Saturday, a beautiful sunny day. My husband and I were getting ready to host a children's birthday party. We were running around, we were getting things together, when all of a sudden I began to receive text messages from my family regarding an active shooter. I had no idea what they were talking about, so I stopped so I could read the text. Precisely at this point, I received a call from the district attorney, Jaime Esparza. As I saw his name on the caller ID, I knew something was terribly wrong. I will never forget his words. He said, I'm not sure if you heard, but there was a shooting at Walmart. Then he said, please gather the advocates and be ready to go and assist the victims and their families. I will call you back. I was blown away. That nightmare was not a nightmare. It was a fact. I kept thinking to myself, this cannot be happening. I proceeded to communicate with my family and I told them to stay home. Thank God for everyone's safety. I then made contact with my colleagues and I asked for volunteers. We were a group of 16 bilingual advocates who are no strangers to dealing with circumstances similar to this. All of them responded right away. There was no hesitation. Everyone said, I'm ready to go. Can we leave now? It seemed as if they had been waiting for my call. As a matter of fact, there was an advocate that was in Ridoso at the time. She literally made a U-turn and came back to El Paso so she can join forces with us. It was a beautiful feeling. 
It made me feel strong and empowered as I knew the encounter ahead of us was going to be an emotional and difficult one for everyone involved. Once I got clearance, I told my husband, I'm leaving now. He gave me his blessing and I left home. I got on the freeway to drive to the reunification center. Everything began to move very slowly. It was surreal and quiet. It felt like a ghost town. It seemed like such a long drive that I could not get there fast enough. Once at the center, alongside with other community partners, we began to assist families who had not been able to make contact with their loved ones. They fear the worst, but hope for the best. We helped provide crisis support and death notifications. We were there for a couple of days. Then on Monday, we visited injured victims at the hospital. We provided assistance with the Texas Crime Victims Compensation Program and gave them referrals to other agencies according to their needs. On Tuesday, we made our way to the Family Assistance Center. We assisted families in the recovery of their vehicles. We were there for the next eight days. One thing was understood. We all share the magnitude of the pain and suffering the community as a whole was experiencing. The community of El Paso was in pain, in shock, in disbelief, and we were hurting. But one question remained, why? Why us? On the other hand, it was amazing to see how the community came together. So many wonderful people consoling those in need, people in our community and other parts of the world began to send gifts to console those affected by the terrible event. They began to send goodwill messages, personalized letters, tickets to attend a local baseball game, books, teddy bears, kneaded hearts, healing oils from Israel, and quilts. We personally delivered these gifts to the families. We wanted them to know that we cared and we were not just another agency crossing their path during this terrible time. As of today, we continue to assist victims and guide them to their criminal justice system and the court process. We want them to know that they are not alone and we will be with them during this long and painful journey. So Celeste, right now we're going through really difficult times, right? And August are really, like, there's some people who don't think about it anymore, but there's a lot of people who still have it on their minds. This morning I was having a conversation with someone and he mentioned it. Oh, yes, because first we had um, August 3rd. Now the pandemic, like people still think about it and people are still impacted by it. So um, what are some of the ways that we can take care of our mental health during these times with the pandemic also going on? Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up, that this is just a compounded layer cake, right, of just trauma and, and struggles and everything else. And so recognizing that this time is, is a lot and that it's heavy, but it's also just incredibly remarkable that we are um, able to, to not only bear witness to this, but to come out the other side stronger. And these are stories that we will tell on forever about how things happened and and we learned and changed and grew from them but that can only happen if we heal right so i want to just check in with everybody who's at home listening or, or going on a walk and listening to this um some of us i've learned are thinking about august 3rd and are a little nervous or apprehensive and there's a lot of folks that are like eh. I'm okay. I'm not worried about it. I'm not feeling anything about it. But on that day, that might change. And that is okay too. There's nothing that you decide today on the day that you're listening to this that will determine how you feel on the actual day, right? So 
couple different things that I invite you all to do is to just check in with yourself. And what I mean by that is doing like an emotional, physical, right, body scan. Um, one of the things that I like to do is have a cup of tea <laughs> every time I eat a meal. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, or snacks, you know, whenever you eat, whatever. Um, and what I mean by that is T-E-A. And so checking in with yourself, how are you what are you thinking right now? What are, or what are your thoughts like? Are you having racing thoughts? Are you having angry thoughts? Are you having no thoughts? And you're just feeling like, Bleh. and then emotionally, remember TEA, emotionally, what is the emotion you feel right now? Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling excited? Am I feeling nervous? Am I feeling anxious? And then the last one is A, and the actions. How am I, how am I acting right now? Am I, am I sitting around the couch watching Netflix all day? Am I um, overexerting myself and trying to keep myself so busy that I don't have time to rest. Um, you know, what kind of actions am I taking around just all of this that's going on? So checking in with yourself pretty regularly too. I think folks feel like, oh, I can just do this once a year, or I'll just do this on August 3rd and then I'll be fine. And really doing this a couple of days leading up to it. Um, and, and even after just, I mean, if it were up to me, you guys would check in with yourselves all day, every day, but, um, specifically to this upcoming date, just really being mindful of your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions and checking in with yourself on a regular basis. And what Celeste is mentioning, it's not when I when you first said it, I thought it was like an actual like cup of tea. <laughs> um, but it's so important because sometimes we are like in automatic, right? We're just like going through our day, um, doing our daily activities. We wake up. Um, and then I started doing something recently. I started listening to a podcast actually, um, that it was about mindfulness and mindfulness in the morning. So it really sets your mind to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to think about and checking with myself in my daily activities, right? I'm not going to go be automatic every day. Um, so I think it's very important to check yourself, uh, check with yourself daily, um, because sometimes we just have like that mindset that everything's, oh, yes, I need to do this now, this, now, this, now, this, now, this, and you forget. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel exhausted. Yeah. Can I, can I piggyback off of that? So if, if you are overdoing, you're doing, you're not feeling, Right. And I think a lot of us, my, I'm super guilty of that I would show you my to-do list right now, but you would get so mad at me. Like I'm one of those people too. Like if I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling anything, I'll just make a really long to-do list. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm so organized. And yes, sometimes, yes, I'm trying to be organized. There are other days where I'm like, I am clearly avoiding some kind of emotion, right? And we're overdoing. So I like that you shared that. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. We, we can't just do, we've got to feel too. Yeah. I... I, I really have a really good friend of mine and we usually have like really long conversations on the phone and we just talk about our feelings <laughs> and we're like, imagine if we record whatever we're talking about, because we do have that space and time where we just reflect on our day. And I think it's really important sometimes when it's not easy for you to do it on your own, maybe reach out to a friend or to a family member that you can trust and you can be like, hey, let me let me walk through my feelings with you and let me walk through my day with you. So I think that's really cool. Also, a really cool way that you can take care of your mental health. Now, um, I know there's there's one of the things that I've seen around a lot is to take a break from daily news because 
constantly we're seeing, like, for example, right now with COVID, um, how many people are infected, right? We see the numbers going up. So how can uh, you balance that while staying educated? Because I, I feel that watching the news or reading a news article is important because you need to be educated, but at the same time, you don't want to overwhelm yourself. So what would you tell to a public so they can find that balance? Yeah, when you and I had talked about this a little bit last week, one of the things that you had mentioned is how how does somebody digest that amount of news? And I instantly went to the physical body, right? Like, how would we digest a 10-course meal every day? Like, you can't. Our body, our stomachs would not allow that level of intensity, that volume of food. And our brain is the exact same way. Information is food for our brain. And if we are inundating or overwhelming the system of our brain, it cannot break it down. It just, it either short circuits or it becomes overwhelmed. Um, and, and some some things can happen, right? We just get overwhelmed or frustrated or have an anxiety attack. So many different outcomes of that. Most of them not positive. Um, so just taking it in slower bites the way that you would eat a meal, you know, three hours of news consecutively is not healthy. Just like three course meals, every single meal is not healthy. Um, so really listening to your body and listening to those cues, I actually put some personal note, I put some timers on my apps on my phone. So they time out after a certain, uh, I don't know, 30 minutes or an hour. I can't remember what I said it to and actually will block it from me so that I'm not spending hours on social media or the news reading every single article that I can find. Um, to back up my arguments or to, to feel informed. So just taking it easy, setting those personal boundaries for yourself and listening to your body. If you are having a reaction while you're watching something or listening to something that causes fear at an unhealthy level, like turn it off, you know, be kind to your body, be kind to your mind. Um, when you mentioned about setting time in your phone, that's something that I do daily. Um, it's well, not daily because it's already set up in my phone. And um, I did that because I realized that being on social media during these times, like even Instagram, Facebook, um, I don't use Twitter, but <laughs> if I were used to Twitter, I would also like, and I put like um, timers, right? And my phone will tell you, will tell me, um, you have so many minutes left to uh, browse social media. And I think that really reduced my anxiety um, because really you're like, okay, like I'm working, right? And I need to take a break. And the first thing that you grab is your phone. And that's not really taking a break. Like you're still in your phone. Like your phone can be very consuming, right? So um, now I want to talk about anxiety and in the future i do want to talk a little bit more like give anxiety a full episode but right now i want to touch a little bit on it because i i i know that a lot of people might be feeling anxious so how can people deal with uh daily anxieties or worries yeah um anxiety is so this is an unpopular belief or statement, I should say. Anxiety is a good thing. Anxiety is good for you. Anxiety is your amygdala and your brain acting out and saying, fear, danger, you know, alert. Um, and the way that I go about this in, in working with, especially kiddos, but I've learned it works well with adults, 
is anxiety is, let's say you're going out and going to go camping and you're going to go out to the woods. Um, or we'll use a desert. We'll use a desert for today since we're in El Paso. You're going out to the desert and you're going to camp under the moon and stars and there's a coyote and it comes up to you, right? Like your brain is literally going to go ah! and tell you, run away, get out of here. This is not safe. This is a good thing. If we didn't have anxiety, we'd sit there and stare at the wolf and be like, hey, buddy, and try to be friends with it, which would not go well. Um, but the problem with anxiety is, or when it becomes problematic, is if you're at home, safe, comfortable, and there's no coyote, but you saw that same feeling that tells you, you know, fear, alert, run, something, whatever the emotion is. Um, that's when anxiety is unhealthy. So you and I had previously talked about our grocery shopping experience a little bit, um, and I shared with you some of that, but to share with all of you. So when you go camping or when you go out for a day trip, right, in the desert, you plan and you prepare, right? You don't just wing it and go to the desert. You pack water, you pack sunscreen, you figure out where you're going to go. So the same goes with our anxiety and how to manage that as we create these plans to help us feel emotionally safe. So if we have to go to the grocery store or even feeling anxious about the upcoming August 3rd, we know that there is potential for anxiety there, right? Just like when we go camping, we know that there's potential coyotes there. So we prepare. We map out a plan for me, for my anxiety. When I have to go grocery shopping, like I'm in the car talking myself up. I'm like, okay, Celeste, First, you're going to get bananas, and then you're going to get grapes, and then you're going to get pasta because you've been craving that, and then you're going to go, like, map it out, bing, 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 don't get distracted, do not buy 30 gallons of water, like, you're fine, and if you feel uncomfortable, just step out, get some air, and then come back, right? Like, I have this whole pre-grocery self-help session in the car. I hope I don't see any of you in the parking lot because you're going to be like, I know what she's doing. Um, so just making a plan to be prepared, and then also an exit strategy, right? So if I don't feel safe, if I feel really anxious, what do I need to do to recover? Because a lot of people do this thing where, oh, I'm so anxious about this. And then you just sit with your anxiety until you drown in it, but you don't create an exit strategy. So if I become anxious, what am I going to do? I'm going to take some deep breaths. I'm going to call my mom. I'm going to get some water. I'm going to step out of the situation, right? So I think planning as best that we can and then having an exit strategy is, is the best way to deal with these very, very, very normal um, daily anxieties that we are all experiencing. Now, Celeste, now I want to talk about uh, non-traditional therapies. At the FRC, we're fans of non-traditional therapies. Um, we are in the process of making those contracts and getting things ready for our participants. But can you tell us what non-traditional therapies are and why are they so beneficial? Yes, I'm dancing in my chair. You can't see me, but um, I just, I love non-traditional therapies. Um, and the reason for that is because it meets people where they're at. Because again, just like recovery is not a one size fit all, neither are bodies, right? If we gave everybody one double XL size shirt, that might be too big on some people. That might be too small on some people. So the same goes for our mind and our brain and, and the way that we heal. Everybody has a different size. And so 
offering, obviously we've got some really great evidence-based therapy and I, I'm a researcher at heart. So I love all of that, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, trauma-focused CBT, all of those things are fantastic. And I think are really helpful. Um, I, but I love the idea of pairing it with, um, some non-traditional therapy. So things like yoga and mindfulness, um, even I would even, I, I bet I go back and forth. Eye movement, desensitization, de- reprocessing, EMDR. I'm going to get that wrong. Eye movement, movement, desensitization, reprocessing. Thank you. Um, it's evidence-based and it's also non-traditional, right? It, it's something that we definitely don't see on screen for quote unquote regular therapy. Um, but we have things like healing circles. I mean, there's just so many cool ways non-traditional ways of therapy. And I think if we can continue to broaden the scope of what therapy quote unquote is supposed to look like, right. Um, then we're more inclusive and we're helpful to more people. And we, we help people find the therapy that works for them instead of just sticking with one and saying, get better with this, this will help you. Like, no, everybody's brain is different. Everybody's journey and healing is different. So we want to offer as many different solutions to that healing as possible. I, I agree. Um, non-traditional therapies, uh, what like the way I see it is they can either supplement traditional therapy or it's a good segue. Um, it's a good way to start. It's like a baby step, right? Like, okay, if you feel a certain way, I think non-traditional therapies is a good way to start to seek out help and to take care of your mental health. Uh, health I'm sorry. Um, so now, Celeste, in recent conversations that I had with family, especially, um, like I think three years ago, we wouldn't talk about mental health. And I remember my dad um, saying the other day, this didn't exist. And I was like, yes, it did. But you, <laughs> you didn't know, like you, you were, you had that stigma, but um, I do see more conversations about even the fact that we're creating this podcast. Why do you think that is? Yeah, this, um, the generation we're living in right now, I think I read some research on that, like has prioritized self-care more than any other previous generation before them. So that's one, I think, um, I love that. I just, I can't stop laughing at that. It didn't exist before. Like, okay, we just came out of nowhere. Like we just, all of a sudden we all got anxiety, right? Like, oh, sorry. I just, I have to acknowledge that. My family said it too. I've heard people say that. I've had people in my office say that. Like, I don't know why I'm here. This didn't exist. I'm like, what? how did we just got here? Um, so it's tough because on one hand, we have that that thought process, like this didn't exist before, so it can be really dismissive. But we also want to again go back to that fear or that shame that's deeply rooted, like. It, I want to tell people this didn't exist before because then that means I am absolved of having any kind of mental health concerns. That's not what they're saying directly, but indirectly, it's kind of what's the message, right? Um, I think this we're, we're doing a much better job of, of having conversations about mental health. I think social media has helped with that. I think it's a blessing and a curse to have so many different television channels, right. And access to TV 24 seven. 
and we have more platforms like this, like a podcast that didn't exist years ago. If anything, that's what didn't exist, right? Was more media platforms. And now we have so many different ways to reach people that we're finally having to uh, more power in these conversations and the ability to have these conversations. So that's what I think has changed. Mm, that's very interesting because I always wonder about that. Like, I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Maybe it's because I also had that stigma and now I'm just realizing now, but I do see, especially like in my family and not just like mom, dad, sister, also like, like I said before, like my uncles and my aunts and my cousins. Um, So I'm just really happy that people are finding that space to open up and realize that this is very, very normal. Um, Now getting into um, I know you you mentioned right now that that tea activity, right? Um, but what are there are there some ways that we can cope with our mental health and take care of our mental health? Um, so, like coping activities that people can implement daily. So, coping skills work if you enjoy them. Like I could give you 20 right now and there are some that you're like, this is stupid and I hate it. And that's okay. Um, so finding coping skills that work for you. Like I love, I think I've done it like 10 times since I've been on here. Like, like I just, I have to pause and take a deep breath before I do or say anything major. Um, so deep breathing breath work is phenomenal. Um, stretching, like basic stretching. I know full on yoga is the is the ideal goal but if you're just at your desk and you take a minute to stretch like coping skills can be as small or as big as you make them right like running can be a coping skill it doesn't have to be a marathon though it can be a 10 minute jog you know what i mean like so finding things coping skills are anything that are healthy that help you that's all that's all a coping skill is so if you're listening take some time and Identify what those are for you and your family, especially if you're living in a house right now with multiple people. Everybody should know what their coping skills are so that we can help each other. Now that we acknowledge the importance of mental health and people out there are listening and they can relate to some of the things that we're talking about, what are the next steps that they can take? Um, Listen to yourself. Listen to your body. What do you need? You know, you've got your, you've identified some basic coping skills to incorporate. See how that goes. See how that works for you. acknowledging, I hope that this is a personal invitation. If you're listening to seek out therapy, if that's the next step for you, if that's what you need, um, it, it's really your journey, whatever you, that you need to do next to be well, listen to that and commit to it and put it into action. Celeste, where can people get more resources and information? So our Emergence Health Network website is emergence.org, which is an awesome hub of different services. Um, There's so much on there, but that includes our um, CRC, our Community Recovery Center, which is dedicated just to serving the needs of of our community for August 3rd. So, and it's free of charge. So if you or someone you know or love is needing some services, give us a call. Um, We've got our crisis hotline, which is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's 915-779. One eight zero zero, and then our centralized scheduling. So if you're looking for any kind of services, centralized scheduling has the accessibility to connect you with whatever you need. And that number is nine one five two four two zero five five five. So if you're listening and you want to speak to somebody and you are still not still, 
I should say, we're all still healing. But if you are acknowledging that you want to talk to somebody um, about August 3rd specifically, please give us a call at 242-0555 and just let them know you want to speak to somebody about the August 3rd incident or you'd like to speak to somebody at the CRC and we'll be happy to connect you to some free services that we're, we're happy to, to serve you with. Thank you so much, Celeste. And now uh, my concluding question, um, and I, I asked this question to all of our guests um, because I think it's a, it's a very empowering time. I know it's difficult, but at the same time, it's very empowering. Um, what is the message of hope you would like to give to our community? If you're listening to this, it's because you found either some curiosity or you're already a member of FRC or CRC and you're interested in healing. And that to me is such a big indication of hope. You're taking time out of your day to, to be with us, to listen to this, to, to be with yourself and take time to heal. And so for me, I just, I find such hope in even just this podcast and the fact that people are listening to it. Um, and it, and and hold on to that. There was something, either it was curiosity or hope or nervousness or something that motivated you to take the time to heal today. And I invite you to hold on to that feeling because that's what's going to get us through, you know, this just remarkable time that we're in. It is August 3rd anniversary. It is a time of civil unrest. It is a global pandemic. It is just so much going on. And yet, here we are recording a podcast or you're listening to a podcast, still trying to grow, still trying to heal. And, and I just, I applaud you listeners for taking the time out of your day to be able to do that. And, and my message of hope actually comes from, from you all and your dedication to healing. So as long as there are people that are still willing to fight the fight and grow and do well, how do you not find hope in that? You know, we're stronger together. We're going to get through this together and we're going to do it because people want to do well. Well, thank you so much, Celeste, for being here. We are so thankful. Um, we learned a lot and it's wonderful that we can open this type of spaces for our community. Um, I hope we can have you back soon because we loved you. <laughs> um, so, well, thank you so much um, for being here, for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you and your time. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this content serves you and your loved ones as well. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do not forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at El Paso United FRC. To learn more about our commitment to the community's long-term recovery, please join us on the next episode.